Welcome to the Islands Christian Church Podcast. We're so glad you're listening with us today. You can worship with us in person in Savannah, Georgia, or with our live stream every Sunday at 10 a.m. Take a minute to subscribe to this podcast to hear a new message every Monday. Thanks for listening. So today we are going to continue the series, Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, verses 1 and 9 is where we're going to be. And remember, the past few weeks we've been talking about this dichotomy of authority and subordinate, authority and subordinate. And if you remember, the whole book of Ephesians is about our identity in Christ and who we are in Christ and how uh, Jesus is bringing, God is bringing everything under the authority of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? God is bringing everything under the authority of uh, Jesus Christ. And so that Jesus is the authority over all things. If you remember, Uh, In the Great Commission, Jesus said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. So Jesus is in charge. So this idea of authority and submission is a very biblical concept. And as Christians, we have to really understand that because our role is to be submitted to Christ, but then there are other levels of submission, right? So here at our church, I'm submitted to our elders. Uh, We as a church are submitted to our elders. There's submission there. That authority is how I find protection in that submission. Husband and wife, we've been talking about that. Well, today we're going to be looking at the authority inside the family uh, between uh, parents and children. And then we're also going to look at a text that's a little bit hard for us to understand in our modern context. But we're going to give it a shot. So first of all, we're going to start with Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. And then we'll talk about that in a minute. Then we'll go to the next section. section. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. It says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Okay, so right off the bat, the first thing he says is, Children, obey your parents. Remember I told you that that's not what he told wives. When we look back at wives, he told wives to voluntarily of your own decision, you decide. That's not what he tells children. He he gives children a command. Children, obey your parents. And so what he's describing is a Christian home where we have Christian parents and and we have children who have been raised in a Christian home with a Christian context. And so he he would not say, uh, children, obey your parents if they're telling you to do something illegal or if they're telling you to do something sinful or immoral. No, the context is within a Christian home with Christian parents, there is a design of authority. And the authority has been designed so that children are not the authority. Surprising, I know. Children are not the authority. Parents are the authority. Children are the subordinate. So, if you're a child and you're living at home, there's a few of you in the room. If you're a teenager and you're still living at home, and I would even extend this, if you're in your 20s and you have failed to launch. <laughs> I know that's hard to hear because we're like, I'm 20 years old and mom, you can't tell me what to do. I, she kind of can. You see the light bulb that's on? She made that, she made that the hot water that you feel like she makes that happen. He makes that happen. All right. And so children, teenagers, small children, even 20s who haven't launched, your parents have authority over you. Now, this is what's important. Y'all with me right here? I see two children right here. When you submit to the authority of your parents, the Scriptures say you're submitting to the authority of Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus leads through your parents. If you remember from last week, we talked about this, how as husbands pursue Christ and as husbands seek to follow Jesus more closely and be surrendered to Jesus, 
then as they exercise the authority inside their home, it's authority as if Jesus would exercise it. It's the same thing for parents, moms and dads. As you pursue Jesus Christ, as you seek relationship with Him, as you learn to walk with Him and listen for His voice and follow Him more closely, then the authority He's exercising over you is teaching you how to exercise authority over your children. And so that your children are getting godly, Christ-like authority in their home. Now, come on. Does that not sound good? That sounds like, I mean, that sounds like a good thing. That Jesus ultimately becomes the authority in your home because these parents are listening for and following Jesus. So, if you're a child right now and you're living at home, if you're a teenager, if you're a college student, you may not understand why your curfew is 11 o'clock. That may not make any sense to you. But guess what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to make sense to you. The authority has decided that this is what I believe is best for you. Because remember, we also said that authority is given to us for our best. That God gives us authority for our best. And that those who execute authority, their role is to execute their authority for their best, for other people's best. All right? So you may not understand, why do I got to be home by 11? Well, you don't have to understand. The godly authority that's been placed over you through the design of God has said this is what's best. You, you may feel like as a teenager or a young person at home, you, you may feel like your bedroom is your privacy, right? That's my space, mom and dad. And you can't come in here and tell me how to live my life and clean up my dirty clothes. Yes, they can. That's, that's the point of this text, is that we don't have to understand why uh, our parents or the authority over us is, we don't have to understand it. We just have to know that God has designed it this way. And our role as a child, as we have Christian parents who are following Jesus, is to submit to them because God designed it that way. So here's a, here's a principle for you parents. You ready? As children learn to submit to their parents, they learn to submit to God. Somebody say that's true. That's true. As children learn to submit to their parents, they learn to submit to God. This is a principle you can trust. If my children rebel against me, they're also rebelling against God at the same time. If, if I'm a, a parent who is coming to them to, to lead them from a biblical position of authority, and they're rebelling against me, they are also at the same time rebelling against God. I, through my teaching them how to respond to my authority, when I teach them to respond to my authority, I'm teaching them to surrender to and submit to and listen to the authority of God. Those things are connected. That's the reason he designed it this way. And I get it. Everybody's house, if you have more than one child, they different. Anybody know what I'm talking about? They're different. I got four kids. And some of them are compliant and easy and like it's, you know, pretty much like you say, hey, go do such and such. And they're like, oh, okay. And then I got others that are just not as compliant and they're not as easy. And I won't tell you which is which because, you know, they'll be using this against me one day. But I got others that are not as, they're not as easy. And so, you know, the, here's the thing that I'm learning though. Just because your child tells you yes and they go be compliant, that does not mean they're being submissive to your authority. That might just mean they're avoiding drama with you. So, so what I'm learning is to really teach my kids to submit to my authority. It's not that they do what I tell them, but they respect me as their father. They see the wisdom in what I'm doing and what I'm asking them to do. 
So that means with some of my children uh, who are more compliant, I actually take more time to explain to them why I need them to do, what I'm trying to get them to do. And I, I spend a lot of time explaining, you know, trying to explain, trying to help our kids understand. Because I don't want them just to be like, well, I'm supposed to do this because dad's in charge. I want them to understand the wisdom of the authority that God has placed over them so that they will also, as they become adults, understand that God has wisdom in his authority over them. You see how that connection works? It's all connected. But we as children teach our, we as parents teach our children to obey authority and then they learn to obey the authority of God. Now, Paul actually reminds all of us that we are called as children to honor our father and our mother. And this also can be difficult, especially if your, your parents are not believers. And, and if that's your case for you, let's say you're a grown person in the room or listening to this online, and you hear honor your mother and father, and you think, okay, I got to obey that. But at the same time, you have maybe a, a mom who's not a believer or a dad. Maybe they're just hard to get along with. Maybe it's just difficult. And you're, you have a, a strained relationship with your parents right now as an adult. My advice to you on that would be, to seek God's wisdom and say, Lord, what, what can I and how can I obey this passage to honor my mother and father? Because now the command has moved beyond children and teenagers and living at home children, and it's moved to who? Everyone with living parents. So if you have a living parent, this text applies to you. Honor your mother and your father. And sometimes we have to just stop and say, Lord, I need wisdom on exactly how to do that. Uh, right now, um, I'm learning how to do that. I'm learning how to do that uh, as an adult. As our parents uh, grow old and they need us more, uh, we honor them. We honor them by taking care of them. We honor them by visiting them. We honor them by sharing resources with them. And, and this is what I'm learning. So my mom is, uh, she's getting older. and We lost my dad about a year and a half ago. And my siblings and I are sharing this responsibility to take care of my mother and specifically one other sibling and myself. And managing uh, the, the, the own pressures, my own pressures of my four children and my family and, and taking care of them, managing the pressures of being a, a senior pastor and leading our church, uh, leading our team and our staff here. And then on top of that, taking care of my mother. It's, it's a lot of moving parts. And so I'm always asking God, hey, what is it you've asked me to do in respects to my mom? I'm not, I'm not assuming I know. And what I'd encourage you to do is you work through honoring your aging parents, honoring your mother and your father who are aging. What I'd encourage you to do is to spend a lot of time praying. A lot of time praying and saying, God, I need your help to know exactly how it is I can honor my mother and father. And what I've been called to say yes to and what I've not been called to say yes to. And so if you are sitting in the room or you're listening online, if you have parents who are still living, there is a command on you to honor your mother and your father and to, to seek their well-being. And so that's, that's, that's where Paul goes next, and that's for all of us. And then the next thing he shifts to is in verse 4. Let's just reread verse 4. Uh, it says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, I don't really know why he only calls out fathers here. I don't, I, I've actually wrestled with this question a lot this week because I've been like, well, he says children obey your parents and then 
fathers don't exasperate you. And I thought, well, maybe that's just cultural. Like fathers have the authority in the home and, you know, like fathers are basically like the total, um, you know, like maybe they didn't see mothers the same way, way we see them. I've been wrestling with that question. But then I thought, you know, maybe this is on purpose. Like maybe Paul is deciding to say fathers on purpose because who is typically, who, who does the most exasperation in the home? where there's two parents. Who does most of the exasperation is the dad, right? The dad is, he's busy. He's running from one thing to the other. He's, he's kind of not paying attention to the details and he's moving, moving, moving. And people get kind of caught up in his wake in that process. And anybody know what I'm talking about? Did you grow up with a dad like that? They kind of get caught up in his wake and the turmoil of his own life. And then and in the process, they are exasperated. So I'm not 100% sure if Paul intentionally meant to only call out fathers or if this was just kind of a cultural thing I'm not 100% sure, but I think the principle is simply this, that we have a responsibility to not make being a child any harder than it has to be. Like we have a, there's a responsibility on us as parents or as as a father uh, on how to exercise our authority. This is about how we exercise our authority. The word exasperate means to provoke to anger. Now we know what this looks like. Have you ever been under someone's authority who drives you crazy and provokes you to anger? Anybody ever done that? Ever, anybody? Just me? Yeah. You're like, yeah, you. No one's. <laughs> you're the one, Saxton. You're the one. But so you've worked. You've worked in in environments where you've had a boss who is just you know a jerk. It's just hard to get along with, and you you think, man. You know, I don't think I'm deal with this anymore. And so we know what it looks like when we have an authority over us that's not a very good authority. Uh, and this is what Paul is getting to. He's saying, hey, dads, parents, don't lead your children, don't lead them, don't have authority over them in a way that provokes them. And so well, what are those ways? Uh, inconsistent rules. Again, this is one of those moments where I'm preaching stuff and I'm not always good at, but inconsistent rules. So if you're a parent and it's a rule on Tuesday but not a rule on Thursday, that's exasperating. Because I don't even know. Like now I don't even know. Like I don't know. So inconsistent rules. So just having like, you know, established, hey, this is how it's going to be in our house. And really in our house there's like really one big rule that never changes. And that is um, don't talk rude to your mama because daddy will lose his mind. And like, that's a big deal in our house. And like, they know that's a big deal every single day. And, but inconsistent rules. Overbearing strictness. If you have overbearing strictness, you know, if you're just over the top about every little thing, my grandmother Saxton used to say, you don't have to see every bad thing a child does. In other words, you might see that kid climbing over the couch. And if that kid knows you see them climbing over the couch, then you got to correct it because they saw you see them. But if you saw them climb over the couch and that's a rule in your house and you thought they didn't see me see them, I'm going to let this one go because I don't feel like dying on that hill today. Right? And, and in other words, calling out every single thing, constantly pointing out the negative, constantly pointing out how they're not getting it right. This overbearing Strictness. It leads to exasperation. Another one that leads to exasperation, dads, is when you won't listen to your child's feelings. 
Because you know why? As a dad, we don't care about your feelings. Now, I do because I'm a feelings guy. So I'm kind of preaching to you dads who are, you know, got something wrong with you. But um, I'm a feelings guy. Like, so I'm like, I'm all about feelings. Like in my house, I'm like, my kids are, I'm like, tell me what you're feeling, baby. Tell me what you're feeling, you know. But I see a lot of dads who, man, you're stunted in this area. You're just, you're just stunted. And I, that probably goes back to your dad and your childhood. And, you know, I don't know, I'm not a psychologist, but I promise you it comes from somewhere. But you're just emotionally disconnected. Don't care what they feel. Just do what I tell you. But dad, I just want to tell, I don't care, no, I don't need to hear anything. Just go do what I told you. Now, I'm not saying I've never been there, because I've been there. Like, let's be honest, I'll be honest. There are days, there are days where I, I, I quote uh, the movie, uh, It's a Wonderful Life. You guys know that movie, It's a Wonderful Life? Jimmy Stewart says, you call this a happy family? Why do we have to have so many kids, right? <laughs> I've been there. I get it. So I'm not, I mean, I'm not preaching, I'm not, I'm not preaching down to you. I'm, I'm guilty of this as well. But dads, when we won't listen to our children, we won't hear their feelings, we won't hear their thoughts, that's exasperating to them. It's exasperating. It's just tough to be that kid in that situation when we just shut them down. And then that shuts them down. And then there's a break in that relationship. So instead of using our authority to exasperate our children, we must use our authority for their benefit more than our own. So think about that, dads, for a second. And moms. Sometimes you use their, your authority so you can get some peace and quiet. Who's benefiting from that authority in that moment? Me. And what, what the Scriptures describe is authority is always exhibited or expressed for the benefit of the one who's under the authority. Man, if you could get that and nothing else, you'd be a better parent, a better husband, a better uh, boss. You'd be better at everything. Hey, I have been given this authority, not for my benefit, not for my well-being. I've been given this authority for someone else's benefit, my children's benefit, my wife's benefit, my employees' benefit. Authority was given to me for the benefit of others. So in dads and leading your families, children, moms and parenting your children, exercise that authority for your children's benefit. Now, I said earlier that we teach our children to respond to the authority of Jesus. That's our role. But I need to tell you that there are no guarantees. So I need to make this very clear because there are a lot of parents of grown children today who raise their children in the church, who exercise godly authority over them, who love them well with the love of Jesus. And today their children um, have rejected the gospel and rejected Jesus Christ as Savior. And, that, and, and I promise you, if you sat down with each of those parents, I know some of them personally, uh, uh, tears would well in their eyes as they wept with you because the one thing that they want for their child or their children more than wealth or a career or happiness, one thing they want for their children more than anything else is for their children to be submitted to Jesus Christ. And they would give up anything and everything if they could get that thing. So I just need to be honest with you. There are no guarantees. You can be an amazing parent. You can lead your children in a godly way. You can have a godly authority. You can, uh, you know, you can bring them to church, and you should bring them to church. Your children should be uh, involved in ministry, in children's ministry, in student ministry, the whole thing. They should be doing it. 
There are no, there are no guarantees. It's ultimately your responsibility. But at the end of the day, no matter how great of a job you do as a godly parent and a godly authority, your children, your children will be faced with the decision whether to surrender their wills to Jesus Christ or not. And that's one decision you will never have power over. It's theirs and theirs alone. And I promise you, those parents that I know of adult children who are not surrendered to their Savior, pray incessantly for that to happen. So be a godly authority over your children. And the text says to instruct them in the Lord. So instead of exasperating them, instruct them in the Lord. Instruct them. Show them the gospel. Live out the gospel in front of them. There are no guarantees, but there's a much higher percentage of your children surrendering to Jesus at some point in their lives. And it may be after you've gone to heaven. At some point in their lives, there's a higher percentage of that happening if you, as their parent, instruct them in the Lord. Instruct them in the Lord. All right, now this next section we're about to read is a little bit difficult to understand for our modern world. It's, it's, it's challenging, and uh, we have to read it with a Roman socioeconomic understanding, Roman ancient culture, which is tough because I don't know how many of you are walking around with that much knowledge in your head, but I'm not really myself, and I read this stuff all the time. So we're going to do our best to, to wrestle with this passage. So let's read Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, comma, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with them. Now, a lot of people will teach this passage and they'll kind of like pivot away from slavery and talk about employee-employer relationship. You just can't do that. <laughs> I mean, it, the text is clear. The text is about uh, an institution of slavery in the ancient Roman world that existed. And the Bible is clear about a couple things. Number one, the Bible is super clear all the way through all the pages about the dignity uh, and the equality of each human being. It doesn't take a very deep reading to recognize that uh, owning another person is out of, out of alignment with the way of Jesus. It's, it's inconsistent with the way of Jesus. But the New Testament letters that we read by Paul and Peter, they do not condemn institutions like slavery in a way that, to be honest, I wish they did. I wish they did. I wish they would just be like, slavery's terrible and evil. Why do you people practice this? You're horrible. You know, like, I wish, there's a part of me that wishes they would just cancel the slave owners, but Paul doesn't do that. There's a lesson in there. There's a, there's a lesson in those words I just said. He doesn't just cancel the slave owners. We do have Paul writing to a guy named Philemon, a little short letter, you could read it today. And Philemon's a slave owner, and he's a leader in the church. And he's writing this letter with Bates, and he's sending Philemon's slave back to him. 
So Onesimus had run away from Philemon and ran to Paul because he's trying to get some protection. And Paul says, uh, you got to go back. But he sends him with this letter that basically tells Philemon, I want you to receive Onesimus back, not as your slave, but as your brother and treat him as such. But he tells Philemon to go back and serve heartily and completely Philemon. Now, Paul seems to be, listen carefully, Paul seems to be more interested in instructing people how to follow Jesus inside the social construct they find themselves in, as opposed to tearing down the social construct. Hard, right? It's hard. Because we're looking at it from a 21st century modern American where we're going, why would you not tear down the social construct of slavery? Because lots of slaves became Christians in the early church. I mean, so the Roman Empire was something like 70% slaves. I mean, it's an enormous number, a high percentage. Okay, it's an enormous number of slaves in the Roman Empire. And so slavery, people who were enslaved, they were enslaved because their people were conquered. It had nothing to do with race or skin tone or anything like that. It had literally to do, you were part of a town that got beat by the Romans when they brought, when they brought in Pax Ramona with their swords and their chariots. And in your version of peace, the Roman peace, was you were enslaved now. And so you were not a Roman citizen, but you were enslaved. And so the Roman, citizen, the Roman uh, Empire was full of Roman slaves, full of slaves. And so the church, as it began to preach the gospel, that in, in the eyes of God, uh, you are equal and that you will spend eternity in heaven, that Jesus died for you, these Roman slaves had always believed that they were hated by the gods because they believed in a, you know, a pantheon of gods. They were hated by the gods and that the gods had forced them into slavery because he ha they hated them. And so all of a sudden when a gospel message came along, and said, no, Jesus loves you and he died for you and you're going to live forever. You're going to ultimately have a brand new life, a new heaven, a new earth. Slaves flocked to the gospel, the church, but so did their masters, their owners. And the church was very interesting in the beginning. It had very poor people like slaves. It had nothing. It had very wealthy people who owned slaves. And so these masters and these slaves were in a room like this. Imagine, imagine across the room with someone who you work for, but you can't exactly quit. It's not like if you show up and resign on Tuesday, he's going to be okay with it. So the church was full of both masters and slaves, and so they were equals, and they were commanded to treat each other as equals. But we don't have Paul saying, hey, stop the relationship, or the dichotomy, I should say, stop the dichotomy of authority and subordinate. He doesn't tell them to stop that. This is important. He tells them how to be Christians inside of that. Hey, the, 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 the dichotomy of authority and submission is here. Now I'm going to tell you how to be Christians inside of that. I, I, I want to tell you uh, how uh, to let Jesus lead you and so that that relationship of authority and subordinate is done in a godly way. So he tells the slaves, first of all, serve your masters like you're serving Christ, knowing that Jesus looks. Look at verse 8. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. So he tells them, hey, inside the, the social construct you found yourself in, serve your master as if you're serving Jesus. But then look at how he instructs the masters in these homes. 
He says, Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. What does he tell the master? The master, hey, you better pay attention because you ultimately have a master too. And that master is going to hold you accountable for how you treat. You are under the authority. You're a subordinate to an authority. And now you've been given the responsibility of being a good authority, a godly authority over another subordinate. And pay attention because if you're a bad authority over this subordinate, that's going to affect your relationship or your engagement with your master who sees it. And he doesn't care if you're slave or free. He doesn't play by the Roman rules, the social constructs. The Lord is watching you, and he will reward you for the good you do. Now, again, I want to say it. Paul never tries to destroy the institution of slavery in any of his writings. He instead tries to help believers who find themselves in that social construct to both submit to Jesus Christ and for masters to execute their authority with Christ-like ways, and for slaves to serve in Christ-like ways. Knowing that, listen carefully, knowing that that will produce the most good given the limitations that that society was in at the time. Knowing that that will produce the most good given the limitations that that society was in at the time. Now, there are some socioeconomic realities that are hard for us to understand. But the idea of liberty and freedom did not exist in the Roman world. The idea of freedom of association and freedom of movement, that was not something that existed. Uh, the idea that you could set your slaves free, was that's crazy. You, you weren't a slave because someone owned you. You were a slave because of your birth. You were a slave not because someone said, hey, I own you, you you're here. You were a slave because you were not a Roman citizen. So basically, not a Roman citizen, you were a slave or at least a potential slave. And so if I was a slaveholder and, and, and I had slaves in my house and we're all part of this church, and I decided, you know what, I'm going to set my slaves free. I'm just going to put them in the street. I'm going to be done with this. I'm going to put them in the street. They would not be free. It would not be like they could go out and go, hey, I want to get a job and I'm going to buy a house and I'm going to start my life over. No, that's not, exact, that's not what would happen at all. In the ancient Roman world, if I set my slaves out, they would be captured and be slaves in a different household. That's what would happen to them. And so Paul's going, hey, look, within the social construct of this socioeconomic reality, the best possible outcome is for inside that social construct is for people who have slaves to be godly and have a godly authority and for people who are slaves to serve and to live their lives out of submission to Christ and so that there will be a godly lifestyle inside these homes because slaves were members of the household. Members of the household. So these slaves, no matter where they went, they were going to be slaves. So just turning them out would not, you know, giving them liberty and freedom would not all of a sudden make their lives better. It actually could make it worse because they would find themselves in the home of a slave owner who was not a Christian, who was not submitted to Christ. A, Roman, a, a man or a woman who was not a Roman citizen would have been trapped in a life of slavery regardless of what home they were in. And Paul understood that. So Paul says, Masters, you've been entrusted some humans that God loves, and God is watching you. Do not threaten them. In other words, do not lead them like they're slaves, but lead them like they're brothers. You still have the authority, but lead them like they're brothers. And slaves, respond to these people who are in the authority over you as if you would respond to Jesus Christ himself. 
and serve them diligently. Now, this is hard stuff. And I'll tell you why it's hard stuff. Because we as Americans have a scourge on our history of chattel slavery. And we hate to talk about it. We like to pretend it's not real. We have this scourge of, of chattel slavery on our history where generations of Africans and their descendants were owned and sold like cattle, oftentimes by Christians and defended by power and authority of the church. Our history within the church related to American slavery is not good. Our history within the American church as it relates to slavery is not good. Now, that's not to say there weren't pockets of good, because there were. There were abolitionists within uh, the church that did good work. But by and large, believe it or not, most Christian leaders supported American chattel slavery. And they used passages like this to do so. Not only to the white owners, but to the black enslaved. So the Bible was, so did you see how I explained that? Socioeconomic realities of Rome, I laid all that out for you. Did you see that? They didn't do that when they were teaching this to black slaves. They just said, you see what the text says? That's what's up. If you've never read What to the Slave is the Fourth of July by Frederick Douglass, I dare you to read it. I dare you to read it. Because he holds his harshest words, much like Dr. King does in letters from a Birmingham jail, he holds his harshest words for the pastors and the members of the clergy who not only stay quiet, but champion the institution that kills billions. As Douglas should have and Dr. King should have. They call out the ones who sit in a position of authority with influence and tell entire congregations, this is okay, that it's God's will. I have no way of knowing this, but the socioeconomic realities of Rome this is what I do know. The socioeconomic cultural realities of ancient Rome and the socioeconomic uh, cultural realities of early American history are two very different things. In other words, in early American history, we did say all men are what? We did say that. The Romans never said that. That was something the Romans would have never said. They're like, all men are no, no, they're not. Romans are created equal. Everyone else are dogs. That's what the Romans would have said. So, it stands to reason that Paul would be like, hey, yeah, that's what the Romans believe. We've got to figure this out. But in American culture of socioeconomic realities, we believe that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator certain inalienable rights. And among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Like this was our founding document. This was at the foundation of who we were. And 
And so I don't know this for certain, but I can't help but think that if Paul were writing to the the church in, in the 19th century or the 17th century, I can't help but think that he might say, listen, resist the evil of chattel slavery. Disband it whenever and wherever you can and defend the rights of all men, regardless of their skin tone. So this is a hard passage for us. Not because, to me, it's not hard to read it in the context of socioeconomic Roman realities. That's easy. Once you understand that, it's easy. What's hard about it is when you learn the history of what pastors and clergy members used this passage for in 19th and 18th century American history. That's heartbreaking. And we still carry the scourge of that as the church. And the reality is, is that slavery is evil and destroys the dignity of men and women made in God's image. And sadly, it is still happening right now as we speak all over the world. Some estimates think there are more people enslaved now than there ever have been in history. Sex trafficking in our city. So here's what we learned from this. Today, if you find yourself in being a place under authority, then we must learn to submit to that authority as we are submitting to Christ. Unless we are asked to sin or practicing, practice any dishonoring actions toward God, we must submit to that authority. We must serve the one in authority over us as if we are serving the Lord, knowing that Jesus is watching us. And if we find ourselves in a place of authority, and most people here are in some level, over people, we must serve them and care for them as equals and never threaten them. But instead, if you have been given authority over another person, a child, an employee, we must seek their best. We must seek their greatest flourishing. Because we, are under the authority of the great Master Jesus, who leads us and serves us, seeking our best, pursuing our greatest flourishing. He exercises authority over us like that and calls us to exercise authority over others in the same way. Father, we are grateful to you for today. Your wisdom is overwhelming. I pray that you would help us to be men and women who obey passages like this. But I also pray, Father, that you would bring healing to our nation. The scourge of chattel slavery on our nation's conscience is real. We need, we feel like it was so long ago, so many, so long ago, but Lord, in the course of human history, our country is not even that old. So will you move among us as Christians? You cause us to be men and women who serve others and love others and seek to lead others to your son, Jesus. And may you come and heal our land quickly. In Christ's name we pray, amen.
Thank you, friends, for being here today. I hope you have a blessed week and a wonderful, amazing day.